Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hey, hey, Lindsay here. Have you ever wanted to just like talk to someone about your child just to make sure you're on the right track or they're going through a phase that maybe you have some questions about or you don't know if they need like a full therapist or you just want some advice on how to handle a specific situation with them or you just want some ideas for things you can start implementing and working on at home. That is what I am doing in my new problem solving sessions. Right now, this is the only way to work with me one-on-one because I'm not taking new therapy clients. If you're interested in something like this for your child, go on the show notes and there's a link and you fill out an application to work with me and I will get back to you about if it's a good fit and scheduling and all that jazz. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. Lindsay here and I hope everyone is closing their stress cycles and enjoying their summer. We are about mid-summer, maybe last month of summer and I just want to remind you that Paige made this amazing summer sanity guide so that you can find easy creative ways that are pretty like cost effective to entertain your kids so that you don't lose your mind. I will put the link to sign up for it in the show show notes. It is amazing. I've done a bunch of the things with my kids. Our personal favorite so far is the Jolly Rancher Bubbles and now they ask to do them all the time and we're even going to take them camping this next weekend and let them do them camping. So Anyway, check that out. I hope you are all surviving summer, thriving in summer. The summer has felt super weird to me, at least. It's been busy, um, but we haven't, like, not busy, like, doing fun things, just busy, just busy and hot and, um, like, I don't have time. And maybe that's a mental thing. Maybe I'm just stuck in this mental state of um, rushing, hustling, getting all the things done. Today's episode is a really fun one and it is kind of, we've done something similar to this in the past, but not this exact topic. And so I'm really excited about it because I have a lot of new information or things I've learned since the last time I did an episode on attention and ADHD and kids to share with you guys. And it's inspired me to go back through the old episodes and find topics and maybe update with new information or add new insight based on, you know, where I'm at now and things that I know now. Something to keep in mind with this episode is that I'm going to interchangeably use like um, ADHD and attention issues or focus issues. And that does not mean any, anything. So uh, this does not replace like the diagnosis of a medical doctor. And this podcast is not intended to diagnose your child with ADHD. I'm just here to provide some helpful tips if your child struggles with focusing or has been diagnosed with ADHD or is neurodivergent. And one of the features of, you know, 
one of the things that they struggle with is attention and focus. So I will just hop right into it. Um, I am kind of calling this supporting your ADHD child. Before we get into like all the tips and tricks, which you know I'm going to give you, I just want to talk about two things that uh, can get a little bit controversial or uh, tricky. And really all it is, is these two things are a very personal family parenting decision that are going to vary from family to family and child to child. And so I'm just going to talk about maybe the benefits uh, and the cons of both medical diagnosis and medication so that you are aware of what they are so that you can hopefully do more research and make the best decision for you and your family. This by no means... um, I'm not trying to say in any way that I think that you should uh, medicate your child if they have ADHD. And if you, if, if I know you and I've told you that, like, I think a doctor should see if medication is a good idea, but I will never say you should absolutely medicate or you should not medicate, or you should go get a formal diagnosis, or you should not get a formal diagnosis because those things are completely up to you and your beliefs and what you think is best for your child, but they are resources that are there and can be useful to some families. So for the diagnosis, that's a, um, so in order to achieve a a diagnosis, you typically will go to a therapist or a pediatrician. If you are looking into doing medication, you, they make you, or at least in Utah and in my experience, they make you go through your pediatrician or your psychiatrist. If, if your child's seeing a psychiatrist, typically if, if they don't have any other, um, diagnoses, they go to the pediatrician and they do the testing. Now, like me in my office as a therapist, I can issue the exact same scale and you know, it gives you, um, uh, like it's the Vanderbilt. It's an assessment for the parents, the teachers, and, um, both parents do them. And they can, then they look at the the scores and the numbers and I can do that in my office. But if it's a doctor's office that's looking to prescribe medication, they typically are going to make you do it in their office and have the teacher send the information to them. So kind of depends where you need to go for what you want. If you're thinking of exploring medication, the pediatrician is a good idea. If you're just kind of curious, like, hey, does my child fall into this category? You can definitely go to a therapist and have them assess or evaluate. Uh, And you can look at the symptoms and you can say like, okay, like this seems like it may fit. So self-diagnosing is a tricky thing because we don't want to walk around and just be giving our kids diagnoses, but we also, like you are the parent of your child and you know them best. A lot of people feel really weird about um, giving kids diagnoses and uh, they don't want them labeled. And I totally understand that. And we feel similar when it comes to Sam, who is autistic, and we don't really use the word autistic in our house. He also has ADHD, but um, very often. And we use it when we are describing him to people so that they can work with him. Like if it's a coach or a babysitter or a teacher, we will use that language to get him the resources he needs, but we don't ever use that language with him specifically because I personally have chosen that I do not want him to be able to use that as a crutch or to say, well, this is because of autism that I do this. So we say things like, this is the way your brain works. Um, your brain works a little differently. Sometimes you need to really focus on remembering this because your brain doesn't do it automatically like it does for other people. There are ways to not talk about that. 
ADHD doesn't um, have as much of a, and it, just to clarify, it's not that we won't tell him that he has autism. We definitely will. It's just that we're choosing to approach it by using empowering language most of the time with him. Um, with ADHD, there's not as much of like a, well, I don't know if a stigma is the right word, but there is a kind of like, oh, well, that's my ADHD. I'm ADHD, so I can't do that. So if your child is doing something like that, you can even just change the language, even if they are already older and say something like, uh, my brain doesn't work that way. I need to find a way for it to work. Now, my perspective on some of these things may be different because I live in a household surrounded by neurodivergent people. My husband's neurodivergent. I'm neurodivergent. We both have ADHD that's been diagnosed. Sam has ADHD and autism that have been diagnosed. And my girls do not have anything diagnosed yet, but I'm sure, you know, given the statistics of like two neurodivergent parents, you're likely to get something in there. So our house is structured for a neurodivergent brain. And the important thing to remember about that is that that's different for every single neurodivergent person. So just because Tim and I both have ADHD, it looks very different and presents very differently. And I have to do things a certain way and he does them a certain way, but he does his differently than mine. So when we're raising our kids, we're coming from this perspective that like the traditional way of doing things may not work for you and that's okay. And so really giving your child that mindset and letting them know that it's okay if they don't fit in the box of the traditional education system or the way other people tell you to organize and do things. And really it's all about finding a way that works for you and your brain. So that's my little bit of a tangent on that. Um, So a medical diagnosis through a pediatrician is typically only technically needed unless you want to know if you are going to do medication. You can use other resources if you'd like. It is helpful, I think, to have a professional tell you, yes, you are on the right track, even if you know in your mom heart, because it can be very validating and it opens the opportunity if they know of any resources or they have any suggestions or books that can be helpful to you. Now, medication is a tricky one. And I think I just want to say like some kids feel like some parents feel like their kids need it and some don't and that's okay and you get to decide. Um, I personally am on a stimulant medication. Tim is not and I didn't go on it until I was 30 and I just, you know, it's just a very personal choice that things that I found that work for me. Sam is not yet on a stimulant, um, but if he needs to be on one for school, I will put him on one with great thought and care. So it's just something to think about. Keep in mind, don't let anyone shame you for doing or not doing something that feels true to you as a parent. Now we're going to get into like all the fun tips. So that I kind of think of like supporting your ADHD child as a two-pronged approach. The first prong is like setting your child up for success. These are the things that we can be doing daily, the habits, the routines that help manage those symptoms and set your child up to be functioning as their best self. They also help you if you are neurodivergent or have ADHD. Um, The first one is pretty simple. It's diet. And I don't mean that they need to eat super healthy or they never eat artificial colors or flavors. I know that there is research about red dye and I like to take a more balanced approach with my own kids and myself and that like I know that stuff is not good for me and it does not help my ADHD symptoms. And so I indulge sparingly and when I feel like it's worth it. But with my kids, I don't want to restrict them from any kinds of food because the 
the food issues for me will outweigh like the, the time they eat red dye in their fruit snack or whatever. So with ADHD, a couple things to keep in mind with diet is you want your child to make sure that they are maintaining their blood sugar, especially if they are on medication, but it really just helps with focus. So if I don't eat breakfast, whether I'm on my medication or not, I'm a nightmare. I can't focus. I'm shaky. I'm distracted. I'm irritable. So your child might not feel hungry for breakfast, but trying to have them get in the habit of eating regularly throughout the day to maintain their blood sugar. Stimulant medications can decrease the way that your body expresses to you that it's hungry. So if I'm on my medication, I feel hunger differently than when I'm not on it and that's okay, but I need to make a mental note to myself to eat regularly. And the same holds true for children. Off of parents bring their kids into therapy and I'm chuckling because like I've done this with my own kids before. They're like, I don't know what it is. Like after school, they, um, they're so emotional. They're like screaming at me, yelling at me, slamming doors, throwing these huge fits. I'm like, okay, well, and we like break down all the problems and I can do this in a problem solving session too, but we break down everything. And what it comes down to is they're not eating lunch or they're grabbing like a frozen waffle on their way out the door, which is totally fine. My kids eat frozen waffles, but like pairing it with like a protein is probably a good idea. And then they don't eat until like snack time at 4 p.m. when they get home because they don't like school lunch. They don't want to bring snacks. This always happens with junior high kids, by the way. So if you have a junior high kid, this is probably, and they're not eating regularly and their mood is off. This is why. And it's like, oh my gosh, your blood sugar must be like completely tanked. No wonder you are irritable and ornery and you like are freaking out on everyone. So just making sure that they're eating regularly. And then also something that can happen with um, ADHD is like nutrient deficiency. I'll let you like Google which nutrients and how you can supplement or add that in. But that can be like a game changer when it comes to symptoms because your body doesn't function properly if it doesn't have all of the nutrients that it needs. Sleep is the next big thing. So making sure your child is getting consistent sleep and enough and enough sleep, right? Like, so they're going to bed around the same time. They have good sleep habits, good sleep routines. ADHD brains have a harder time calming down. And this is why the routine is especially important. And they may need to do some kind of physical activity closer to bedtime to help them fall asleep. These are also the kids that may need like an audiobook on or some relaxing music, but the sooner you can create an association between their brain and sleep um, with a routine, the better and the more restful their night's sleep will be. Now, if you have like a junior high or high school kid that really struggles to wake up in the morning and they have ADHD or ADHD symptoms, sleep inertia is a big deal for ADHD brains. What this means is sleep inertia is just like that groggy, you feel like you can't think or you got kicked in the head feeling when you first wake up. Now, for a neurotypical person, usually there's like 90 minutes of like wake up time where your brain moves through the different brain waves to get all the way to like where it needs to be alert and functioning. With people who have ADHD, it can take longer and it can be more intense than those who have neurotypical brains. Keeping that in mind when trying to wake your teenager up, you're wondering like, why won't they not get up for school? They go to bed on time and I literally cannot wake them up. It may be the point in the sleep cycle that you are waking them up at. So first having them wake up at the same time every day, if you can, 
And there are also like apps and, or you can just like go on Chrome. Like if I go to bed at this time, when is a good time to wake up in my sleep cycle? It'll tell you like a window of time and trying to wake your child up or have them set their alarm during that time and see if that helps with their alertness in the morning. Now, if you have an especially groggy kid, like you cannot get them ready for school, something you can do is have them get dressed and as ready as they can the night before just to minimize the stress and, you know, conflict in the morning. Uh, movement is another thing that is super helpful for ADHD kids. I think it's covered a lot. Make sure they are moving. Uh, we send Sam out if the weather's nice every day before school to either jump on the tramp or go ride his bike or a scooter or do something to get that physical energy off. He, and I know him, he focuses best when he has done a lot of movement right before. So if I have a situation where I need him to focus or I need his behavior to be really good, I will have him get all of that energy out before. Um, you can also do things like this before bed. You can have them push laundry baskets full of towels or weights or whatever, books, whatever you want to put in it around the house. I had a client come in and tell me I had given them this idea. And the dad was like, yeah, I just have her push. Like, apparently it's like big boxes full of uh, bullets around the house. And I was like, Hey, you do you do whatever works, makes her tired. And she falls asleep easier. And that's, that's the goal, right? That is what we need. These last two are two things that I don't hear talked about as much when it comes to children and ADHD. The first one is their sensory system. So a, a common trait of ADHD is having sensory issues. <laughs> I don't know the right word. So you're, you can be overstimulated or need extra sensory input easily. Now, the thing that has helped me the most is following this account on Instagram called The Sensory Therapist. Her name's Kelsey. She's so cool. And I was privileged enough to be able to take her Sensory Life Academy. And I learned so much about our body sensory system that like in our nervous system, because it all boils down to nervous system. And when your child is overstimulated or overwhelmed or getting too much sensory input or not enough, they literally go into fight or flight. And it's all about kind of expanding the window of tolerance. So if you haven't heard of the window of tolerance, what that is, is you have like red, which is like you are overly stim stimulated, right? And then they use blue a lot. I think you're like green, I don't know, where you're like under stimulated or like kind of after fight or flight where you're like zoned out, dissociated. And then there's also like, a, I'm getting into fight or flight. So, but really you want to stay in the green zone, which is like the calm content. And so it's um, helping train your child's sensory system so that they can tolerate um, more of the sensory input that sends them into fight or flight. Recognizing that ADHD kids are easily overstimulated by certain things and they will go into fight or flight. Working on their sensory system with either like an occupational therapist or um, like checking out Kelsey's stuff, ways that you can improve that will make them tolerate stimulation so much better. Let me give you an example. Um, big crowds really, really up, like upset Sam because they're loud. He was complaining even of like his ninja class. He kept saying it's too loud. It's too loud. And it's actually not that loud. But what I think it is, is it's so many people talking at once that he has a hard time focusing on the one conversation. So we got him, um, those little in the ear, um, I think they're called calm, 
um, in the ear things that they're like little plastic pieces that have a hole in them. So they, they like dampen the noise. They're not earplugs. They dampen the noise so he can still hear, but it's not as overstimulating to his brain. And that has like helped him regulate in those situations. But something we've also done is we've kind of slowly started taking him to places that are a little more stimulating. COVID made this really hard because, <laughs> you know, you can't do that. You couldn't do that as much. But now that we're getting out more, I'm taking him more places like the grocery store and to carnivals and letting him go as long as he can before he puts his earphones in. Letting him go as long as he can before he puts his earphones in. And I've noticed this summer, especially the more we do, the better he does. And we went to a carnival a couple weeks ago and he didn't even say it was too loud or ask about his like ear things. He calls them his AirPods, even though they're not connected to anything and they don't play music. So recognizing and like helping your child improve their window of tolerance for certain stimuli can be really helpful in managing ADHD symptoms so that when they are in the day-to-day, they don't get overstimulated as easily, which then sends them into fight or flight, and then they can't complete their work at school or their chore or they're having an emotional meltdown. That is why that's important. The last one is emotional regulation. So um, parents will come to me all the time with their kids and they've never been diagnosed with ADHD. This specifically comes out a ton in girls um, because they present differently with ADHD than boys a lot of the time. But they will have huge emotional regulation issues, struggles to regulate, and um, will like break everything down and, and start figuring things out. And it's like, oh, they really may have like a true ADHD diagnosis because emotions feel more intense for people with ADHD and they're a little more impulsive. So they react based on their emotions before... Um, like letting them process, riding the wave. Now, this isn't something that is like a, uh, like a life sentence, right? So recognizing like, hey, this is how my brain works. This is how my brain processes emotions. Specifically, if you have like rejection-sensitive dysphoria, this is how my brain processes emotions, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel a big feeling and I need to train myself to like do a skill, react before I, in, in myself, calm myself down before I respond. This is something I'm still doing as an adult because I never learned as a child. But we can teach our kids to do this. And the preventative piece of this is that we can, or preemptive set yourself up for a success piece, is that we can be working on coping skills and emotional regulation from the get-go so that as they're getting older, these things aren't as big of an issue. Now, if your kid is already like 13, that's okay. You can start working on it now. So practicing coping skills when they're calm. I have a coping course you can buy, getting them into therapy, um, helping them learn their emotional triggers and or researching ADHD and emotional triggers so that their brain, so that they know how their brain works and what they can do about it so that they feel empowered and not like they're just this victim to their emotions and their brain. Okay, now we're going to move to the second part of the two-pronged approach, which is dealing with issues or problems that come up. And I have a little formula for you to use when your child is struggling with something that relates likely to their ADHD or their attention issues. And I'm going to give you some examples. When I give the examples, I'm going to do it for like an elementary age um, and an older middle school, high school age. Keep in mind with these examples, you want to adapt them to your child, their specific brain and their specific needs. 
The tricky thing with ADHD, like I said earlier, is if you know one ADHD person, you know one ADHD person. So um, an example of this, and I talk a lot about me and Tim because we're two ADHD people who are very different. Um, he needs to have like a podcast or something playing in the background to focus. There is a point for me where if there is too much noise in the background, I am completely overstimulated. So where something would be like a prime focusing environment for him, it is actually hell for me and sends me into fight or flight. Keeping that in mind that like sometimes you'll see on TikTok or in books, like this is the advice for your kid has ADHD, do this. And it's like, that's great, but that might not be exactly how your child's brain works. And that's okay. We just need to find something that works for their brain and that takes trial and error. Okay, I'm gonna stop blabbing and get to how you can address things that come up. Whenever your child is struggling with something related to their ADHD, I'm going to use the first example, which is like not turning in their homework. Maybe they do their homework, they just don't turn it in. I want you to set a time to sit down and have a conversation with your child about this problem. So you set up a time and you say, hey, I've noticed that I know you're doing your homework. You're doing it at home. I'm watching you do it. But all of your stuff showing zeros. And maybe they say, well, I forget to turn it in. I lose it on the way to school. Whatever they say, okay? I want you to ask them, what is getting in the way of you turning it in? What keeps you from being able to turn it in? Figure out what the barrier is. Is it that they forget? Is it that they lose their paper? I'm trying to think of other common ones with ADHD. I guess I'll just use those too. Is it that they don't want to turn it in? The motivation piece could be a big one, right? So say they forget to turn it in. Then you can say, okay, how can we problem solve this issue? Now, if your child has, um, and if this is a new approach for you, they might, they might not have ideas or they may seem confused, but what you, you can do is give them options. I could say we could try this or we could try this, or these are just some ideas I have. What do you think will work? So it could be something like, um, we could set a reminder on your phone right before that class to turn in the paperwork. We can get your backpack ready the night before and we'll put this paper on top so you see it and it triggers you to turn it in. Um, offering ideas and solutions. Then you want to try it out. Give it a time frame in which I'm going to try out this new system. Maybe it will be a week, okay? At the end of the week, you'll check in with your child and say, how is this going? I, I'm noticing you're turning it in 50% of the time. That's pretty good. That's an improvement. Um, and you can go back and be like, what can we do to get it to 100%? What can we tweak? This is where you tweak and adjust as necessary. If it didn't help, don't feel bad. Don't shame yourself. Don't shame your child. Scrap that idea and move to the next one. Now, the important part of using this system and this way of approaching it is not only are you solving the problem in the moment, which is that they're not turning their homework in, right? But you are simultaneously teaching your child how to adjust their life and plan for things based on how their brain functions. We are walking them through and giving them the skills that they need to function in life with an ADHD brain. And that is more important than turning in any one specific homework assignment. So that is why you wanna take the process seriously and adjust and tweak as necessary 
Um, because, and when they see success with it, which they will, they will one, um, be more motivated to continue to try new things and adapt things. And when they see failure with it, which they definitely will, they hopefully will not internalize the shame of, I can't do it. I'm not like everyone else. A lot of kids with ADHD already have this internal belief. And as parents, we want to do everything we can to prevent this from becoming a self-esteem issue, right? So my brain works this way. My brain didn't like this. And you can even say my brain because your brain isn't who you are as a person. So it's not like I suck. I can't remember anything. I'm awful. Why can't I be like the other kids? It's like, oh, my brain didn't like this. Let's try something else. Maybe my brain will like that. And it's not related to who they are as a human being and their worth. Okay. So um, example, you don't turn in your homework. If they are an elementary age student, you do the same thing. You sit down and you say, okay, um, what what's getting in the way of you turning in your homework? And they say, well, I, I lose it between, you know, home and we do it at home and then I forget it's like on the kitchen table or something. So you can create a system with them that says like, okay, so let's uh, create a little routine that when we're done with our homework, we're going to put all of our stuff back in our folder, put it in our backpack and put our backpack by the door for the next day. So it's ready to go. And then before bed, we're going to check and make sure that we did that. So not only do we have one system and routine in place, two, we're going to check ourselves. And for the first little bit, I'm going to help you by reminding you and prompting you and even maybe showing you how to do it. So if your child doesn't have the skill or doesn't know how to do it, you can sit there and say, okay, we just finished homework. Put your thing in your folder. Oh, yep, that looks good. It's right on top. And and I know it feels like, okay, I don't have time to like handhold here, but this is important because if you do this, then you won't have to handhold later. So just bear with me for a little bit. Eventually, once they get to it and then you can prompt them to check at night that their stuff is there, then you can back off a little. Like they have a few days, they have some success turning it in. Um, Then the next time, then you'll say, okay, did you get your homework in your folder? You can just remind them, prompt them, done, right? You don't have to check for them. You don't have to double check. And then, oh, it's nighttime. Is your backpack by the door? Oh, yep. Okay, cool. Let's move on. So And then eventually it will hopefully become a habit that like maybe you just check at night and you don't check in the afternoon. And then once they have that down, maybe you don't have to check at all because they have ingrained this habit in their brain. For an older child, it may be something like I forget to turn it in. So what do you think would help? They can they will maybe say, well, I'll set a reminder in my phone. In the beginning, you may have to help remind them. So it might be a text like, hey, remember, you need to turn this in today in the morning. And a lot of parents, when I first mentioned this, they get this look on their face like, my kid is 14. I don't want to be texting them to turn in their homework. How are they ever going to be a freaking responsible adult if I'm texting them to turn in their homework at 14? And I hear you and I get you, but here's the problem. If your child does not have the skills, the life skills, that life skills are like a pyramid, right? Um, let me use the example of like doing laundry. If I just hand my 14-year-old a laundry basket and say, go do laundry, but I've never once taught them how to do laundry or showed them, maybe I walk them through, I'm like, oh, this is what you do, but I never showed them which buttons to push, how our washer works, let them help me with laundry, they would have no freaking clue how to do laundry, right? If your child does not have a neurotypical brain, they may not have these skills, and that's not your fault, and they also may not pick them up in the same way that other kids pick them up. And that's okay. So it may have to start with texting your 14-year-old and saying, remember to turn in this. 
And then after a week, maybe then they like set the reminder on their phone and they turn it in on their own or they put a sticky note up or you can help them transition from you using them. Um, not you using them, I'm sorry, from you being such an active part in this process. Another thing, you being involved in the solution and helping them navigate and learn these skills does is it prevents that um, contention and power struggle when it comes to specifically homework. It's a big one I see in therapy all the time. So it's not this, I'm checking your grades, I'm nagging you, I'm yelling at you because you can't get your grades up, right? Um, And it's, oh, you need to learn these skills, so go figure it out on your own. It is like, hey, I get that this is hard for you, and I'm going to help you figure out how to do this. And that preserves the relationship. Relationships with teenagers especially are hard enough. We do not need to make them any harder by power struggling and nagging with them. Trust me, your teenager with ADHD feels like crap enough that they're not able to do what other kids do. They do not need you to nag them about their missing assignments. They need you to help them figure out how to catch up or how to get it done, not to just tell them that if they don't do it, they'll lose their phone and this and that or the other. Okay, the second example is like, say your child is becoming overstimulated um, in a situation. So with a younger child, you maybe would teach them what overstimulated feels like in their body and the emotional regulation skills. And this will start with, um, co-regulation, which is a word page and I use a ton on here. And that is you regulating with them. You are going to sit with them, regulate their emotions, prompt their deep breathing. If they're young enough, hold them while they are taking deep breaths. As they get older, you are going to help them learn to recognize their triggers for overstimulation. So maybe uh, they, they say like, I just can't focus to get my room clean or to do my chore or I can't get started. I get like overstimulated and exhausted or and overwhelmed. Okay, well, what's going on in the house? Is Alexa on? Is a TV on? Are siblings screaming? We can only control for so much, but that's where you can say, okay, buddy, you're overstimulated and you're having a hard time thinking. So what is the first thing we need to do when we do this chore and helping prompt them and get their brain focused on the right thing rather than the overstimulation? If your child is getting overstimulated, the best thing you can do at any age is teach them how to ground themselves and to calm down before trying to take action. This um, will vary based on their skill level, but I just want to remind you to approach them at the skill level that they are and, and their developmental level, which is not their chronological age. So you may have a five-year-old that uh, has tantrums like a three-year-old. So you want to parent them like the three-year-old when it comes to those tantrums, teach them those skills so eventually that they can respond like a five-year-old. So even though your kid is 15 or 16, if they don't have this foundation of skills, you're going to have to go back to the beginning and learn it with them. And that's okay if they're open to it. And part of being open to it is having them be involved in the process and have it not be a power struggle and a punishment, but like a, we are solving this together. We are figuring out how to tackle this together. Um, Another common thing, this is my last example that comes up is lack of motivation, um, specifically in middle school and high school kids. And so something you can teach them to do if they have ADHD and they are struggling to motivate themselves to do homework, to do, um, 
you know, projects, get things completed on time, chores, is to find the, and I do this with myself at home, the smallest joy that they can find in what they have to do. So if it's that I'm folding laundry and putting it away, I am watching a show that I like while I do it. That is my small joy. Um, And I focus on that and how fun that is. So anytime my brain goes to, oh, I don't want to do this. I hate folding laundry. I redirect my brain back to, I love this show. It's so nice to be able to watch the show while still being productive. Okay. And this may be that they're doing homework. And if they like to listen to music, they have like a song they really like to listen to. Or they have their favorite drink with them or a favorite snack, something that they can find joy in in the process. This is a little harder and requires a little more thinking with your child, but it is doable. The second thing is setting up systems and rewards that work for your child and their brain. They don't always have to be big. The goal is literally just to reward your brain for doing the task. So maybe it's, um, for me, it's like a cup of coffee after my workout. I like my workout, but it's getting started doing it. That's hard for me. So I'm thinking of that cup of coffee. That's like my reward. Okay. Um, what can be their reward for completing the assignment? Is it a candy bar? Is it getting to watch this new movie that came out? Is it 30 extra minutes of screen time? Doesn't have to be big, but something that they can look forward to that's small that their brain says, oh, I like this. I also have recently been playing around with, and this is something you can try out with your kids, ways to do things that my brain likes that's fun. So like doing dishes, my brain really likes organizing them beforehand, don't know why, but if I do that, then I feel like, oh, this is fun, this is easier, and I can do it, and it's in my brain enjoys it. So playing around, finding the weird things that work for your child and their brain and knowing that there is no one cut and dry way to do things and you'll have to play around and figure out what works, what motivates them. The most important thing when parenting a child that is neurodivergent is that they feel like you are on their team. Their relationship is what is most important. We are addressing and this whatever problems are coming up together We are figuring out a way to structure your life that works for your brain together. We are going to try this, and if it doesn't work, we will try something else, and that's okay. Just because it didn't work doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It just means that your brain didn't like this, and that is okay. Life is constantly tweaking and adjusting anyway, but especially if you don't fit the mold. And as someone who doesn't fit the mold, I think neurodivergent people are the most creative superheroes out there when they can create a life that works for them and channel their the way their brain works into positive things. The downside is, is that we get stuck so much in trying to be like other people or compare ourselves to other people that we don't focus on our superpower. We only focus on our flaws. So helping your child see that. What is the superpower in this? So the superpower in the fact that like maybe my brain struggles with focus and attention and motivation. So it only likes to do things it likes is when it really likes something, it's really freaking good at it. So when I like, I really like my job, so I'm really good at it. 
that's the superpower. And not everybody has that. So pointing these things out to your child, um, especially if they are like um, older elementary, middle school, high school age, having them learn about ADHD brains, how they work, the things that are cool about them and things that they can try to help themselves. It This also does a few things. It one, normalizes that there's tons of people out there, probably more than not, that are aren't neurotypical. We don't fit in the mold, okay? And that that's okay. And two, it shows you there's many different ways to do things and it gives you ideas for things to try, which makes it kind of fun because people with ADHD get bored really easily. So trying new things to work with your ADHD is actually fun and can be rewarding to your brain. I hope this was helpful to you. If you have any questions about how to support your ADHD child, please do not hesitate to reach out to me at mindfulasamotherpod at gmail.com. Sign up for Paige's Summer Sanity freebie. It is amazing. And we will see you next week. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.